Well, good morning. Uh, one quick announcement before we get into the Word of God, and that is the Sacramento Kings. The Sacramento Kings are only doing so good because it's the year of the King at Bridgeway. I am quite convinced they're, they were making a playoff run and that despite our prayers, they are making it very difficult. I'm just pointing that out. Um, however, they have such a fun young team um, and everything has been going very differently this year and it's exciting. If you haven't got a chance to go to the Golden One Center before, it's a beautiful facility. And the reason I mention this is that we are going to go to another Hoops to Hope night uh, as a church. Now, we only grabbed 40 tickets initially, which by the time we get to you, there are only eight left. So, so, uh, want to let you know the date. It is April 4th, Thursday night, 7 p.m., April 4th. So it's a little ways out. Uh, they're lower level tickets. They're 56 bucks a piece, which is a very, very good price for lower level seats. Um, I'm taking my youngest daughter, Andy. We're going to be going out there and hanging out. So if you'd like to come join us. Um, and also, if you wanted to find out how to register, either you can go outside the doors after service and talk with Josh, who you just met, uh, out there at a table. He has a laptop that can sign you up right there. Or you can go on the app, or you can actually go through our website, bridgeway.church forward slash kings, to come join us. All right, that is it. Please take out your Bibles and the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door, and we can begin. We are in part 11 of our King series, where we've been going through the history of Israel, primarily the monarchy period, right? Where we're talking about a bunch of different kings. And I entitled today's message, The Bloody King. Now, when I get done, you're going to know and go, well, pastor, that was very clarifying. Thank you. It was very easy. Um, but as we jump into this, I want to remind you of something. Do you realize that when you come into an anointed sacred place like this. And I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about the body of Christ coming together. When you come into an atmosphere like this, do you realize that the Holy Spirit is ministering the entire time? And what we need to do is to make sure that as he is whispering to us throughout the entire message, that our hearts are soft and ready to listen to him. And basically, here's what I mean. When I'm preaching, it may be something that I'm talking about. It may be something that I'm not talking about. It may be that all of a sudden what I just said sparks something in your mind and you start going, oh man, I was just praying about that. I would love for you to go off into la-la land with God, right? Just be talking to him and hanging out with him. You can completely ignore me because really all I'm trying to do is get you in touch with Jesus anyway. So so if you get off on a, on a side tangent, that's completely cool, but... Here's what I want you to understand. I want your radar up. I want you to be able to listen to the voice of the Lord. We're going to be sharing about God's word. And anytime God's word is opened up, who knows what he's going to talk about, right? So I would like to begin our time of just praying for soft hearts, soft minds, right? So that when the word comes down, it can soak in and actually make a difference in our lives. Should we pray about that at the beginning? Let's just, let's just do that real quick together. Uh, Heavenly Father, you are the source of all truth, and we just need a lot more of you. That's the bottom line. And Holy Spirit, I know that in your house, in this place, you do great and extraordinary things. We are asking, Lord, that as we open our ears and listen to you, that you might whisper truth to us that's just specific for us. It's not for anybody else. It's personal time. God, I pray that for all of us as we are going through this material that we are sensitive to you, willing to hear. And once we hear, Lord, we want our answer to be yes before we even know what the command is because you're our Lord and you're our King. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The phrase, you will know them by their fruit, made famous, right? Jesus Christ. He talked about that stuff. And what he was saying is he was using an agricultural reference and he basically said this. He said, you know, you could walk through an orchard and if you see apples and you're like, man, it's an apple tree. If you walk through and you go, oh, there's pears, it's a pear tree. Nothing too shocking there. He said, but in the, with people, it should be the same thing that you're going to know by what is produced out of their life, whether they're good guys or bad guys. And as much as I appreciate that teaching, and I believe it is true, I think Jesus also taught that it's complicated. Sometimes bad guys do good stuff. 
right? I mean, if you just look at the fruit of their lives, you're like, oh, well, they did. They were super nice to me and all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're still bad guys. That didn't change the nature of who they are. They're just doing nice stuff. In the same way, sometimes God has good guys do stuff that looks messy and it looks like they're being bad guys. A little hard to tell who the good guys and bad guys are. Let me make it real personal. Boundaries. Uh, there are some of us that have been or are in toxic relationships where this is just super unhealthy. Everything about it is unhealthy. Well, if God whispers to your heart and he says, you know what? I've been talking to you a really long time. That is not good for you. That is not healthy for you. And I'm talking about maybe you're dating somebody and that, and that person is, is abusing you. Well, when you try to set a boundary, if you, if boundaries were easy, you would have set them a long time ago, right? But when finally you get all fired up to where you're like, no, you know what? I feel solid in my identity with Christ and I have people that support me. And I I just want to say that this is not right. I don't think this can happen anymore. You're not going to look very Christian to that person. You understand what I'm talking about? Because they're like, well, why are you doing that? Why are you coming at me like that? Oh, look, now you're going to judge me and you're going to tell me. No, what I'm telling you is this is unhealthy. Well, I don't understand why you can't just be more forgiving. I thought you were a Christian. You're supposed to just say that everything's cool. I'm doing what is right and it doesn't feel right to you, but it is still right. You understand what I mean? It starts getting messy when you're dealing with human beings. But in the same way, I would say that God sometimes breaks eggs when he's making breakfast. What do I mean? I mean, he's making a mess sometimes when he's sorting stuff out and fixing stuff and moving this nation and moving that nation. And we end up seeing him doing some very complicated things. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament's all full of complication stuff, right? I mean, you're reading this stuff and you're like, he did what? What in the world is going on here, right? I mean, as a matter of fact... He gets to do things we cannot and must never do because he is holy and righteous and his motivations are right and everything else, right? So we're not, we're not trying to duplicate him in everything. But just know this, that God is good in what he does. We keep trying to say, hey, when I read the Old Testament, man, that's just a different God. Do you understand the problem with that? Because the Bible says that God is the same, what, yesterday, today, and forever. Same God, Old Testament, New Testament. So what do we do with this kind of stuff? We tend to read through it and we just kind of blow it off. And we're like, yeah, I don't really understand. I mean, that whole killing stuff and the, the campaign of the promised land. And yeah. So we don't know what to do and how to process it. That's why the fill in the blank is so important. Why don't you take a look at that? It's on your app if you want to fire that up or you want to just fill it out in your handout sheet. It's this. Sometimes doing the right thing gets messy. Sometimes doing the right thing gets messy. I always want to challenge you as our family. Please do not remake God into your image. Please don't remake God into your image. What do I mean? The more we advance as a society, and it's, I always find that rather ironic that we're advancing as a society, but that's okay. The more we get, we understand things and we check things out and we're like, well, we're getting nicer as a people. We then put some bar up and we go, you know what, God, you need to be as nice as we are. And then we keep saying, if he does not adhere to whatever we hold as a standard, we say the Bible's antiquated, the Bible is outdated, the Bible is no longer relevant for today. And we start throwing stuff out. You can't do that because the God that you worship today is the God of the Old Testament too. The, The deal is we have to understand and look deeper and figure out what's really going on. And in a fast paced world like today, we don't slow down and reflect too much, do we? We just keep driving on through. And we, if it gets complicated, we just kind of chuck it to the side. All right, well, let me bring you up to speed where we're at in our series. We've been going through this monarchy period, and we've explained that at one time, Israel, it was united under Saul and David and Solomon. And then it blew apart because of the sin and the fight infighting. And they split apart north and south. We've been telling you week after week, the North is just a mess. They've had bad king after bad king after bad king. The best that they get is a complicated king. And we're going to talk about one of those today. A complicated king. Now, the South, they had some good guys and some bad guys and stuff like that. But here's what's interesting. The, the part that we're talking about today, and it's a guy named King Jehu. In this area of time is the most complicated in all the history. Why? Because if you go back and you're trying to read Kings and Chronicles on your own, isn't it a little complicated? 
Don't you feel like you're like reading it and you're like, I'm sorry, who did what? Like, is that the north? Is that the south? And at some point you just get frustrated and go, ah, whatever. It gets even more complicated here because now the north and the south are starting to hang out together. So they're starting to intermingle and intermarry. But the biggest problem, they're starting to name all their kids the same names. Okay, there should be a rule. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can't name your king the same name as the other guy's king because that just screws everybody up. You get to be Rick, you get to be Dave. That's it. I don't need all this same name thing going on, right? So when I tell you this history, I'm going to kind of skip some of the names and just tell you the gist. I need you to trust me on this one. It's a lot easier. One other side note. You would assume that North and South hanging out together was a good thing because you're like, aren't we supposed to be one nation under God? That's awesome. I mean, that's what God wanted in the first place. But now they're all split apart. So now they're hanging out. So we should cheer that, right? No. Why? Because instead of the South infecting the North with good, the North infected the South with bad. Man, do you understand that we as Christians are supposed to be the salt and light of the world? That means that we're supposed to infect outwardly with love and grace and blessing, not the pollution going the other way. The world's hate should not be getting in us. Our love should be getting in them. You understand what I'm talking about? And therefore, when you're hanging out with a bunch of friends that maybe don't know the Lord, don't love the Lord or whatever, I hope you're influencing them and they're not changing you. We've got to be real careful of that because then you're not doing anybody any good. Sure enough, the South was getting messed up and they were intermarrying with them. And well, it starts getting yucky. Here we go. Let me explain the North. Once again, bad guy after bad guy. We studied one of them. Ahab, y'all remember Jezebel, his wife, sweet lady. (laughs) We're going to learn about her violent ending today. Um, So they had a kid and their kid was another bad king. He reigned for two years and then he died. He didn't have any kids. So they put another one of their kids on the throne and he was the king for 12 years and he was less evil. Yay. Okay, if you're naming your kids as kind of like less evil and more evil, you're a bad parent, (laughs) right? I understand good parents can have bad kids and we're going to find that out here in a moment. But if simply your children are less evil than the other one, that's not a good sign. Uh, The South had had a bad turn. They had a super good king. Uh, with a dumb name, Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was awesome, but he had a bad kid. His kid comes and takes the throne and kills all his siblings. Okay, that's not a good kid, just real quick. I don't know what your standard is for good children, but that's mine. So their bad kid was so bad, as he kills all of his siblings to secure his throne, he marries Ahab from the north. He marries his daughter, And so he's now intermixed into this really yucky family. He's so bad that God strikes him with a bowel disease. Okay, first, real quick, I'm not moving on. Okay, here's the deal. It says in the Bible that his bowels came out day by day for two years. Okay, there are ways that I want to go and ways I don't want to go. Okay, I don't want to be eaten by a shark. I do not want to be burned to death. And I don't want my bowels coming out really slowly. They either come out or they don't come out. That's all I'm saying. And no one's taking notes. Why are you not writing this down? What is wrong with you people? You're in church. Okay. And this is, this is my favorite part. When he dies, I love this. It says, quote, and he died to no one's regret. <laughs> That's awesome. Imagine somebody just writes that on your tombstone. <laughs> And nobody regrets you. So you're dead. All right, moving on. His only remaining son, because the rest were killed in an attack, took the throne with his mom, uh, Athaliah. She's the only queen of Israel, and they were evil too, so blah, blah, blah. Okay, that's where we're at in our story. So here's the big question to start. How in the world is God going to clean up this mess? I mean, you, the north, yeah, they're, they're terrible, but now the south is super yucky. How's God going to fix it? It's really broken. It's not kind of broken. It's super broken. So how's God going to fix it? I'll tell you this. Whatever he's going to do is probably not going to be nice. And whoever's going to do it for him, probably not going to be the nicest person in the world. Welcome to our character of today. (laughs) That is King Jehu. All right. 
I want, when I talk about this guy, here's what I want you to picture. I want you to picture a hardened, tough, no-nonsense military dude. Spent his whole life in the military. He's like, and back then, it wasn't like the military of today in the sense that this was like up-close fighting, right? And it was just straight-up brutal. This guy just kills people for a living. That's it, Right? Uh, he's the commander, one of the commanders of the army of Israel. He's been around for a long time. He's not a super young guy, but he's just tough as nails, right? That's who I want you to picture. All right. God wanted him to be the next king. How do we know that? Because y'all remember that we had these two super cool prophets, Elijah and then his younger protege, what? Elisha. All right. So we got Elijah and Elisha. Elijah, the older one, one day he got super bummed out and he was hanging out in a cave and he was like, God, I'm done. I don't want to be here anymore. You need to kill me. And God said, I got three jobs for you still to do. Number one, I need you to anoint the new king of Syria. Number two, I need you to anoint your successor, Elisha. Number three, I need you to anoint the next king of the north named Jehu. Now, Jehu has no idea about this plan. But God was already telling his prophet what was going to happen. This is God's man for the season. Which brings up a side note. Do you realize that God has plans for you that you know nothing about? That he's working out stuff up ahead of the way? Like in, all of a sudden he goes, I'm moving this piece. I'm shifting this piece. And as soon as this piece trips over here, you're on. You have no idea. If, if he was to tell you right now, you'd laugh in his face and go, no way. But God knows. He has great and mighty plans for you. It doesn't mean they're flashy. It just means they're right. And he's going to move heaven and earth to make sure that you're in the right place at the right time. If you are a child of his, you're on. And he's going to use you. Now, we get back to the story and we're all going to pick it up here together in 2 Kings chapter 9. 2 Kings chapter 9, I want you to see how this man rises to power. It is directly from God, and he uses his prophets a lot. 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 1, all right? So that's probably page, uh, let's see, 2 Kings 9, 1, page 315. 315 in the ESV, if you want to follow along. And you always need to follow along at church to make sure I'm not lying. <laughs> Amen? All right, because I just add stuff in there. All right, cool. Amen. Second Kings 9.1. Then Elisha, the prophet, called one of the sons of the prophets. That's one of his team. So there's a bunch of prophets. He picks one of the young guys out. And he said to him, tie up your garments. Y'all know what that means? It means I need you to run. You're wearing a dress. That's what it means. <laughs> tie up your garments. Take this flask of oil in your hand and go to the city of Ramoth Gilead. And when you arrive, look there for Jehu. Everybody knew who he was. He's a commander. We're going to go to verse five. And when he came, behold, the commanders of the army were in council. And he said, I have a word for you, O commander. And Jehu said, yeah, we're all commanders. Which one of us do you have a message for? He said to you, O commander. So he got up and went into the house. And the young man poured the oil on his head, saying to him, Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, I anoint you king over the people of the Lord, over Israel, and you shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master, so that I may avenge on Jezebel, his wife, the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free, in Israel. Go to verse 10. And the dog shall eat Jezebel in the territory of Jezreel, and none shall bury her. Then he opened the door and ran away. <laughs> what a little weirdo. Right? I mean, you got to imagine this is not how he thought the, the staff meeting was going to go. Right? So he goes away and everything. And this is super funny. I love this stuff in the Bible. Look at verse 11. When Jehu came out to the servants of his master, they said to him, uh, is everything okay? Why did this mad fellow come to you? <laughs> right? They even know he's a weirdo. Right? And he said, uh, you know this fellow in his talk. Like he's trying to blow it off. Like nothing just happened. They're like, you're really shiny. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's got oil all over his head. How are you going to play that one off? He's like, well, I just shampooed. 
It's, uh, I have a commercial later. Um, you know, that kind of stuff. So they're not buying it. Look at verse 12. And they said, that is not true. Tell us now. And he said, all right. And he started telling them, thus and so he spoke to me saying, thus says Yahweh, I anoint you king over Israel. Then in haste, every man of them took up his garment, put it under him on the bare steps, blew the trumpet and proclaimed Jehu as king. Wow, that didn't go like he thought. Man, he's just hanging out. And all of a sudden, some weird guy comes in, anoints him, and then everybody gets on board. And they're like, yeah, absolutely. There's the new king. Love that guy. What? I didn't choose this. Man, I fight people. That's all I do. I don't even know what we're talking about here. I don't want to be the king. All right, so I'm going to paraphrase how it went from there. He says to his guys, he said, all right, look, this wasn't my idea. But if I'm going to do this, I'm doing it right. I believe God called me. So here we go. Are you guys on board or are you not on board? Because I can't have you questioning me. I haven't, can't have you challenging me. What I need to do, I need to do. Are you guys with me or not? And now this guy's tough as nails. Everybody's scared of him. You got to answer in one way. And they're like, yep, we're with you. He said, well, then I can't be king while there still is one. I need to go visit some kings. Let's ride. You know, it's that kind of thing. You know, he starts his motorcycle and everybody drives off. You know, it's that kind of thing. They're all in chariots. So they all take off and they're going in there. You know, you can see the dust going across the way as they're approaching the palace because the two kings, the king of the north and the king of the south are hanging out together at one of the guy's palaces because he had been wounded. The north guy had been wounded in a battle with Syria and he was recovering. So the other guy came to hang out with him. I don't know, play cards or something. So they're hanging out and there's a guy in the watchtower hanging out up top and he's supposed to keep an eye on what's going on. Well, he sees this team coming up and the, the dust rising in the distance. He's like, hey, king, real quick, there's a team approaching. He's like, well, go find out what they want. Throw, send out a scout. So he's like, hey, you go. So he takes off and he goes out there and rides. And he goes out and he says, hold up, guys. Are you here for peace or not? And Jehu doesn't mess around. He looks at him and he goes, what do you know about peace? I think you need to get in line. The guy's like, yes, sir. He joins his team and they keep coming in. And the watchtower guy's like, ah, uh, that didn't go right. Uh, King, he didn't come back. Well, send another one out. Great. You go. He takes off, right? He goes out there and he's like, are you guys here for peace or not? And Jehu's like, what do you know about peace? Get in line. He's like, yes, sir. He joins. They're like, this is not working. And this is the funniest part. The watchtower guy goes, now that I'm looking at it, right? He's got his little binoculars. I don't know if they were around, but anyway, he's looking at his binoculars. He's like, oh my gosh, that's Jehu. No one drives like that. What? What does that mean? He said, nobody drives that furiously. Okay, I don't know if he's like swerving. I don't know what he's doing, but somehow he's like, that's clearly Jehu. And he's like, hey, King, that's Jehu himself and nobody's coming back. Something's wrong. They're like, all right, we got to go check this thing out. Okay, you get in yours, you get in your chariot. All right, let's go. They take off and they go out and they stop him. And he's like, Jehu, what's up? Are you here for peace or not? And this one line, check out how Jehu responds. A man of very few words. What peace can there possibly be as long as the whorings and the sorcery of your mother Jezebel are so many? Whoa. <laughs> What'd you say about my mama? Like what? You called her a what? And right then they know this is not going to go well. And they're like, ah! And they just panic. Run! And they all take off. So they're like running away from him, right? And Jehu knew this was going to happen. So they're running, one shooting this way, one shooting that way. He's like, follow that one. He's like, steady. And he's pulling out his, you know, he's drawing back his bow. And he's just so good at this stuff. Releases, shoots it, bam, right in between the shoulder blades. The guy slumps down. He's gone. And he's like, get the other one, right? And so they're chasing him and they mortally wound him. And he's driving away and dies in another city. In one day, two kings, boop, they're all gone. You would assume that he's done. Oh, he's just getting started. <laughs> so as he is driving up, he happens to come into Naboth's vineyard. Now, y'all remember the story of the guy that Ahab was so mean to and took his, his vineyard outside the palace. He's like, grab the king's body, that king, right? The one that, yeah, 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 yeah. His son, drop it right here. And he taps his aide and he goes, you guys, you remember when we used to ride with King Ahab? Because they were part of his commanding team. He said, you remember when we were riding with him and that one prophet came up and he's like, 
your blood's going to get spilled on this ground. Why don't we let him off here? <laughs> they just drop his body right there, and he's like, that's called prophecy. <laughs> Dang, okay. Okay, well now, what looks over that vineyard? But Jezebel's palace, so he, ding dong, right? <laughs> and so she, it's, and this is great, i got to read this, exactly. It says, and... Um, Jezebel painted her eyes and adorned her head, then looked out the window. So she had to put on her makeup before she went to the window. I thought that was great. She calls down and she goes, is that Jehu? You're a traitorous murderer. He doesn't even respond. He looks at all her guys that are with her, the eunuchs that that hang out with her, and he goes, which one of you guys is with me? Three of them are like, me? (laughs) And he goes, throw her down. Okay. She hits the ground. She's gone, right? And Jehu says, I'm hungry. Let's eat. And you're like, wait, what? So he goes in and gets a snack. Well, he's in there and he's eating. And while they're having a meal, he's like, he's eating all this stuff. And then he's like, you know, she technically was a queen. We should probably bury her. That's a good point. You guys, we got to go get her body real quick. So they walk outside and there's nothing left, quote, but a skull, palm bones, and her feet. Why? The dogs ate her. And he, and he looks up and he's like, prophecy number two. Bam! <laughs> Nailing it, right? So he's doing great. Well, sure enough, Jehu still has more to do. That Ahab and Jezebel, and primarily Ahab, he had multiple wives. He has 70 sons. Now, that's, you got to have a lot of wives to have 70 sons. And they are the rightful heirs to the throne. Well, he has to get rid of them, but he knows he can't get them all himself. That would take forever. So he sends a letter out to all the leaders of Israel. And he's like, he's like, guys, you have in hiding all 70 sons. So here's how we're going to roll this. I'm a man that fights. So let's do this. You pick your best one. You pick your best one. Let's go to war. We'll fight for the throne. Let's do this. Well, they know no one's going to take this guy on. So they write him a letter back. Um, we're good. Uh, we like you. And he's like, okay, so if you're on my team, send out another letter. If you're on my team, I want every one of their heads in a basket on my doorstep tomorrow morning. Yee. <laughs> right? What a creepy UPS run that was. You know what I'm saying? Is that box bleeding? Is that what? What is that? Sure enough, the next morning, 70 heads. Now, you got to remember, this is not just adult men. This is all boys. doesn't matter if they're babies. doesn't matter if they're kids. It doesn't matter anything. They're all slaughtered, right? And so now he's like, great, got those down. But you know what? I'm not done cleaning up. He ends up killing all the great men that were attached to Ahab. He ends up killing all the friends of Ahab. He ends up killing all the priests that Ahab had. And along the way, grabs another leader and says, quote, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. He's just fired up for God. And he's like, we're clear in house. He even says this, quote, know that there will be no words that fall to the earth from God which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab, for Yahweh has done what he said by his servant Elijah. This guy knows his prophecy. He's saying one by one, clicking it off. He's wiping people out. He's like, this is what God wants. And he still has more to do. Pick up the story in 2 Kings 10, 18. 2 Kings 10, 18. Y'all still with me? All right, good. Here we go. 2 Kings 10, 18. I need you to listen to this one. This will start bending your mind a little. Then Jehu assembled all the people and said to them, Ahab, the terrible king, served Baal, the false god, a little, but Jehu, I will serve him much. You're like, well, I'm sorry, what did you just say? You just say you're going to serve another god more? Next line. Now, therefore, call to me all the priests of Baal, all his worshipers, all his priests. Let none be missing. I've got a great sacrifice to offer to Baal. Whoever is missing shall not live. But Jehu did it with cunning in order to destroy the worshipers of Baal. Jehu ordered, sanctify a solemn assembly for Baal. So they proclaimed it. And he sent throughout all Israel and all the worshipers of Baal came. So there was not a man left who did not come. They entered the temple and the temple was filled from one end to the other. And he said to them who was in charge of wardrobe, 
bring out the vestments for all the worshipers of Baal. In other words, I want everybody wearing Baal gear. I only want Baal people here. So they brought out vestments and Jehu went into the house of Baal with another guy and he said to the worshipers, now I want you to search carefully and make sure there is no servant of Yahweh here among you. I only want, it's a Baal party. I only want Baal people here, right? So they search and get everybody out. Then they went in to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings. Now Jehu had stationed 80 men outside and said, any one of you that lets one of these guys escape, I'll kill you. Tough boss, yeah? So as soon as he made an end of the offering of offering the burnt offering, Jehu said to the guard and to the officers, go in and kill them all. So they put him to the sword. Then the guard and the officers cast them out and went into the inner room of the house of Baal. They brought out the pillar that was in the temple and they burned it. They demolished the pillar of Baal. They demolished the temple of Baal and they made it a latrine to this day. That's called closing it up. <laughs> Thus Jehu wiped out Baal from Israel. Man, sounds like a good godly guy to me, right? What are you going to do with that? The dude lied, right? Hey man, I'm super into bail. How about you guys all come? We'll have a big bail party. It'll be awesome. No, it won't. You're going to kill them all. Deception, murder. It's interesting. It says in the next verse, Jehu did have his faults. Jehu did not turn aside from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin. That is the golden calves that were in Bethel and Dan. What was his fault? He didn't do enough destruction. He still left more stuff. He's probably looking and going, man, that's old school. Nobody's into that stuff anyway. Who cares? It was important to God. So he didn't destroy enough. Look at the next phrase. And the Lord Yahweh said to Jehu, because you have done well, in carrying out what is right in my eyes and have done to the house of Ahab according to all that was in my heart, your sons of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. Hmm. What are you going to do with that? I mean, that's pretty much your best king of the north. There you go. There's your good guy. Complicated though, yeah? I mean, it's not what you would have assumed that somebody would be anointed to go out and slaughter a bunch of people and... How do we handle that kind of stuff, right? I mean, you've asked that question of yourself, right? What about the campaign for the promised land? I mean, you get the idea that it was a judgment on God and he was rooting people out and he needed Israel to be kind of his hammer to do that. It wasn't them just stealing land. But still, I mean, they were killing men, women, children. I mean, there was all kinds of brutal stuff that went on. And so what we tend to do is we grab that and we go, yep, it's different God of the Old Testament. Well, Jesus is nice. I'm not sure you understand who Jesus is. You see, Jesus Christ is the commander of the armies of Yahweh. He's the one with the sword that walked up to Joshua. He's the angel of the Lord that brought in slaughter. He's the one that rides on the white horse with victory, with eyes of flaming fire. Oh, our God is not a wimp. And I'll tell you this, when you're praying about your enemies... You want the warrior God, right? But he's really sweet to you, his kids. Mm. What do we do with this? Y'all, I don't tend towards extremism. I, that's just not, that's not my personality. My uh, extremists tend to be black and white. Okay, I am not black and white. There is nothing about me that is about black and white. I am Mr. Gray, right? Everything's gray, and here's why. Because black and white seems way too oversimplified for me. I don't understand that. Because I see detail. And when I see detail, I start going, whoa, 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 hold on. You keep saying that this is right, but only this part is right. Not this, not this, but this, not this, but this, right? I'm an analytical person. I analyze all that stuff. And it, some of it just doesn't seem right to me. So please don't ever come to me and go, which camp are you in? I don't play the camp game, Right? Well, well, what are you? The other day I was asked, uh, I was just picking up um, chicken wings, <laughs> right? I, w I was hanging out at Wingstop and, and somebody recognized me at Wingstop. We got in the conversation. He said, I, I don't mean to pry in anything. And I know this is a little bit hard. And he was a super nice young man. And he's like, he's like, so would, would you say that you're more Republican or Democrat? And I was like, oh, you don't want me to get started. <laughs> I said, don't even start with me. I said, because everyone keeps trying to play camp games with me. 
Which team are you on? Oh, I'm not on anybody's team. Unless it's Jesus, I'm not on the team. What I am, amen. What I'm interested in is selecting out because when I look at that, somebody's going to go, well, how do you feel about this issue? And I'm going to go, how long do you have? Because I don't think of things in black and white. I think of things in detail. So I start going, well, I'll tell you what, here's what's wrong with this ticket. I'll go, bing, 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 bing. I like this, 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 all this stuff is garbage. This stuff right here, totally anti-Jesus. I like this over here. And then we'll start talking about the complications of the issues. And, and nothing is so easy and clear to me. I'm the type of guy that you're going to come up to me and I'm probably going to see your point of view. That's just how God built me. But I cannot deny the times that God needed to clean things up when they went too far, and he did viciously, it, he would never have asked a person like me because I would have hemmed and hawed, I can't do that. He wiped out people, shut things down, crushed opposition, right? I mean, he did that kind of stuff, and it was his idea. You always think, well, maybe he went rogue. No, that was God's will. How do you do that? What do you do with that? How come we're not doing that stuff today, Right? You got this horrific person that goes into a mosque and shoots up and kills 50 people in New Zealand, in Christchurch, New Zealand. What's wrong with you? Well, I don't like, I don't like the way that they stand. Okay, so let's get back into the extremism stuff. So are we supposed to go out and just dominate this world and we just start attacking and killing and anyone that doesn't agree with us? Is that what we're doing? Because I'm not seeing that that's what we're doing. So what changed? You guys, there's a very easy answer for it. Everything is about king and kingdom. I'm not playing around with this whole year of the king thing. This is legitimate. Everything rides on kings and kingdoms. Who's the king of your life? If it's you, it's going to go one way. If it's God, it's going to go another way. But it's not just the king. We have the same king of the Old Testament and New Testament that what changed? The kingdom. Same king, different kingdom. How do we know that? Because Jesus said it different. Here we go. You all remember when he walks in, he goes, the kingdom of heaven is among you. He's like, here we go. We got a whole different thing going on. Why? What changed? In the Old Testament, God was working with an earthly kingdom. He had earthly people in an earthly place fighting earthly enemies. And so sure enough, he operated is his extreme holiness demand, his extreme purity demand. He came in strong and started wiping out everybody because it was a physical kingdom. By the time Jesus walks in, there is no physical kingdom. Rome runs everything. There's no Israel. And Jesus said, you know what? We're done with that. Will I ultimately do renewal with the nation of Israel? Yes, but that's not what I'm talking about right now. What I'm talking about is we have a whole different kingdom. We have a whole different contract. We have a whole different covenant in my blood. Check this out. Y'all remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane? right? And he's getting arrested because that was the whole thing. Judas's kiss and all that stuff. You remember that? And he's going to get arrested. Well, they physically grabbed Jesus to take him away and arrest him. And Peter lost his mind, right? Peter takes out his sword, which by the way, side note, out of all disciples who are allowed to carry a sword, he should not be one of them. Do you understand what I'm talking about? I trust the sword with Thaddeus. I trust his sword with Matthew, anybody but Peter. Don't give Peter a sword. Well, sure enough, he gave Peter a sword. So Peter loses his mind and he's thinking physical protection. So he pulls out his sword and swings at the nearest guy who dodges and just gets his ear cut off, right? And what does Jesus say? Check this out. This is how Matthew says it. Jesus said, put your sword back in its place for all who take the sword will die by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? What was his point? Dude, that's not what we're doing here. Do you really think that I can't defend myself? Man, if we're trying to do a physical kingdom, dude, I'll just annihilate everybody. Man, I can, here's the deal. One angel in the Old Testament kills 140,000 Assyrians. I can drop down thousands of them in one second. And you're going to protect me. Peter, you have no idea what we're talking about. We're not doing that anymore. 
This is not a fighting people thing. People aren't our enemy. We got three enemies, the world, the flesh, the devil. That's it. It's not people. We're not attacking people. We're not going after and trying to force our way and bully our way through the world. That's not how we're doing this. As a matter of fact, you, if you remember in the story, Luke records, it says, Jesus said no more of this, and he touched the man's ear and did what? He healed it. He was like, no, we're healers now. When we're coming to people, we're healers. When it comes to ideologies, we're ferocious. But when it comes to people, we heal them. He's not our problem. Would you turn with me to John 18.33? John 18.33, that's in the New Testament. Uh, go to the right in your Bibles. You're going to hit Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to be at the back end of that. John chapter 18 is page 904 in the Bibles under the seat in front of you if you want to grab that. John 18.33. Jesus was on trial and he was talking with a governor who had the power over life and death, a guy named Pilate. You all remember this part of the story? So right before he dies, he has this conversation It says, so Pilate entered his headquarters again, and he called Jesus and said, are you the king of the Jews? Once again, he knows it's always about kings, and it's always about kingdoms. Because here's his perspective. Dude, I represent Rome. I'm the authority here. Do I have a problem with you? Is that what we're doing? Are you and I having a problem? Do I need to worry about you leading a rebellion? Are you the king of the Jews? Is that what we're doing? So it's now Jews against Romans, and what, you're going to lead it? Do I need to get my warriors in here? What kind of play are you trying to make here? Because I know that whoever the king is, is going to have a problem with my king, Caesar. So are you the king of the Jews? Jesus' response said, are you saying this of your own accord? Did somebody else tell you about me? Jesus isn't answering the question. Pilate answered, what do you think I'm a Jew? Your own nation and your own chief priest delivered you over to me. So what have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting that I might be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. That's pretty clear. He's like, you and I, we don't have a problem. Trust me, if I had a problem with you, you would go away. You and I don't have a problem. You see, my whole warfare is a revolution of the heart. I'm going way deeper than territory. I want everyone's heart on my side. I'm looking for radical surrender. I'm looking for complete adherence to the kingdom of God. So do I have a problem with you? I guess a better question is, Pilate, do you have a problem with me? I'm the king of all creation. You got a problem with that? You run this little land. I run everything. I don't have a physical kingdom. It's interesting because we have a hard time with that because we look over at Jesus and we're like, oh, but he was so nice. Let me tell you a story. Many years ago, we had a pastor here on staff, a buddy of mine, and his name was Justin Pritchard. I guess it still is Justin Pritchard. (laughs) Pastor Justin, he told a story that I'll never forget. He said, when I was in boot camp, he said, I was in the army and there were drill instructors and they were just mean, nasty guys. But there was this one guy that was, he was super cool. He was like strong and he was, he's just a great guy, but he like had this calm demeanor about him and he was tough as nails, but he was fair. Well, everyone else was gone and he was in charge of us and we thought we should screw around because it's only him. So we ended up messing around that night. Well, the next day he lined us up. And he said, don't you ever mistake kindness for weakness. And he just ripped them apart. What was his whole point? So what, I got to bully you for you to respect me? Is that the problem? Is that what you need? Just because I'm nice to you, you think you can turn around and walk over me? Oh no, I am strong and I am nice. You need to respect that. But, but that's our problem is that we keep thinking that just because someone is nice, that somehow they're not a strong person. Jesus is the strongest man that ever walked the planet. He's the one that would weep like great drops of blood. 
going to a horrific death where he takes on the sin of the world onto his own shoulders that we might live. You have no idea what that means. And he does it for us. And he'd do it again. You want to talk about strong? You want to talk about extreme? Oh, our Jesus has always been extreme. The difference is the kingdom changed. Now he's fighting a whole different way. I want to tell you how God gets ferocious today. You want to talk about what ticks him off? You want to get Jesus mad? Here we go. Here's his verse. Whoever receives a little one in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it'd be better for him to tie a great millstone around his neck and drown in the depths of the sea. Don't you ever hurt my children. You mess with their minds, you mess with their hearts, you're messing with me and I'll come after you. Jesus isn't playing about that stuff. He says, you want to talk about radical? Let's talk about a radical inside change. Let's talk about temptation. Your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Your right foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. I'd rather you be maimed than go to hell. You want to play extremism? Let's play extremism. You keep saying that it's easy, right? No, it's only because you're looking at the wrong stuff. You keep looking at the outside. You keep thinking that if you clean up the outside, then people won't give you heat. But if you clean up the outside and you don't clean up on the inside, the garbage is still flowing. Too many people in the church today, right? You look so good on the outside. You got it all nailed down, but the hatred in your heart is still there. Nothing got renovated. You're no different than you were 20 years ago. You just look better. I got to let you know that that doesn't impress Jesus at all. And this is the weird thing. We keep yelling at the world to have them clean up their outside. What are you doing? Clean up the outside? Who cares about the outside? We care about the inside. Uh, Oh, Jesus is still extreme. Right? You want to hear a list of what he's extreme about? Here we go. He said, I want you to viciously protect church unity. You don't get to squirrel out and do your own thing. I want you to forgive everything that people do to you, no matter how you feel. I want you to shield your marriages from your own selfishness. I want you to block any chance of money becoming a God in your life. I want you to aggressively advance the kingdom of God. I want you to grip your identity in Christ firmly. I want you to resist judging other people. I want you to pray ferociously. I want you to forsake all other religions and become hardcore sold out Christians. I want you to guard your heart and mind from the pollution of an unbelieving world. I want you to give God the role of retaliation even when your heart is burning for revenge. I want you to radically love your enemies. I want you to give till it hurts to the poor. And I want you to fight fear and anxiety because I'm protecting you. Jesus has always been radical. The problem is we don't take seriously what he is serious about. He's serious about heart transformation. He's serious about total surrender. That's what matters to him. Everything else is just details. Because if you can get the right inside, it comes outside. And eventually it's going to make a difference in our behavior. But that's the last thing that will change. Hmm. Can I have the prayer team come on up here? Y'all, next week, we're going to launch a series into Elisha. Uh, we're still on the King series, but we got a three-part series on Elisha where we're going to talk about miracles and everything amazing and all that stuff. It's crazy. You can't miss that stuff. But right now, we're going to close this service with something very important. Remember I told you at the beginning that the Holy Spirit would be talking to you? What's he been saying? Because I want to pray for a very specific group of people. I want to pray for the people that the Holy Spirit was talking to you about radical change in you. What do I mean by radical change? I mean like radical reformation of a dead marriage. I'm talking about a radical breaking of addiction. I'm talking about a radical releasing of your past. I'm talking about radical forgiveness of an abuser. I'm talking about a radical change in your identity 
about who you really are. Now, you'll know if the Holy Spirit is talking to you when another part of you rises up and goes, oh, shoot, I can never do that. You're right. With man, it is impossible. But what does the Bible say? With God, all things are possible. What we want to do is we want to pray for you. If you right now are being asked, and you don't need to tell anybody what it is, that's between you and God. If you right now are being called to extreme change inside you, I just want you to stand up. We're going to pray for you. Stand up wherever you're at. Once again, we're going to be with you. You don't need to tell us what it is. It's personal. It's private. Okay, anybody else? Here's what I need us to do. What you need, you had the boldness to stand up. What our job as your family is, is to surround you with power and strength and encouragement. And we're going to do that right now. Can I have everyone else stand and gather around each and every one of these people? Gather around, lay your hands on them gently. We're going to pray. Every one of us, I need us to pray with all of our heart for our brothers and sisters. They would not have stood up if it wasn't a big deal. And it is our job to defend them that their burden would be carried by us as well. So we're going to pray breakthrough in their lives. You ready to go? All right, here we go. Heavenly Father, we lift up our brothers and sisters that stood before you, that God, that they felt a whisper by you and they were bold enough to say, yes, God, I want it. But Lord, they don't know how to do it. And so right now, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we pray, Holy Spirit, you would overwhelm them, that you would fill them up, that every part that has been emptied out by pain would be filled with your power. We pray right now, Lord, that they would begin, that right now their shoulders would get stronger, that, Lord, that their, their weight would get lighter, that, Father, that pack that they're carrying would be cut off in Jesus' name, that, Lord, that even their mind would begin to be remapped and redesigned, and they'd have new thoughts and new dreams and new hopes and new beliefs, and, God, that they would begin to break from addiction and they would begin to break from pain, that, Lord, that which mastered them before will not master master them anymore. God, we are praying for relationship reconciliation. We're praying for hope to be restored once again. We're praying for the enemy to be shoved away. We are praying for a defending, a blocking over them that Lord, when they walk out of here, they've never been more full of the Holy Spirit than right now. And so we pray, God, more upon them, more upon them. Anoint them with your very own hand. Holy Spirit, touch their heart and begin to warm it by the power of your spirit and show them you can do this because you're not alone. You are not going to fight this battle. I will fight this battle for you, you say. And therefore, we trust in you. And we are just saying that we stood up only because we knew we had to. And therefore, your calling is your enabling. God, we believe you. We trust you. We don't know what it looks like to live different. We don't know what it looks like to let go of that identity. We don't know what it looks like to forgive. But God, when you pour out so much love and grace and forgiveness into our life, Lord, would you fill us up so much that it's only natural to forgive? That God, we are overflowing with your love and your power and your freedom. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.